Um, so what we're going to do is, uh, through Advent, we started off with a little bit of the Christmas story when Alex came last week, and uh, over the next three weeks we are, are going to look at some songs. And uh, there are a number of songs that are found at the beginning, at the start of the, of the nativity narrative. And the, so we're going to look at Mary's song this week, Zechariah's song next week, and then the angel's songs um, the week after. So today's Mary's song, and if you want to follow this through, this is um, in uh, Luke chapter 1. It's about 35, I think verse 35 is, is where we hit it. Um, so I'm thinking about aliens this week. So I had a moment of thinking about aliens, and uh, in my alien thoughts, well actually it was, uh, I was popped into Asda, and uh, there was music playing, and I thought to myself, at this time of year, if, if somebody who'd never had any association with, with the earth and, and what goes on at this time of year, if somebody came in from outside and just checked out what was happening with regard to uh, decorating songs and, and activities, I wonder what uh, they would make of it and where it would direct them, where they would think uh, this is all going. Because uh, I'm thinking to myself, we've got, uh, there's stuff about snow, stuff about sleigh bells, stuff about reindeer, uh, stuff about elves, stuff about snowmen, uh, chestnuts roasting on an open, f- does anybody get involved in anything like that? Chestnut roasting? Is that a thing for us, or is that just foreign? We, some people do chestnuts. Okay, okay. Uh... Uh, Jack Frost snipping at your nose, don't know what that's all about. Um, and the songs that are sung, I mean, we had our top five today uh, of current uh, iTunes Christmas hits. And I think you could end up with a bit of a, a warped idea of what Christmas is all about. And then you come to this bloke, um, slightly rotund, dressed in red with some white trim and... Uh, Big beard. What's all that about? And then you look it up and you think to yourself, because I just ask myself the question, I do it every year and I have a little look back because I forget, what is this St. Nicholas about, this Santa Claus person that, that we, we have? And actually, if you go back to the, uh, um, about the third century, you find uh, the stories of uh, St. Nick. And there's, there's one of these stories that talks about him um, hearing there's a, a, a family that was very, very poor and they, they had daughters and the, the decision was made that they would uh, let their daughters go into some uh, rather seedy work um, just to bring in some money. And St. Nicholas at that time got, some, uh, the story goes, that he had a bag of, of coins and he, he put them in through the window and then that got changed to he dropped them down a chimney and the fact that the father found these coins the daughters didn't have to go and do what they thought they were going to have to do and there was all of this stuff which was very um yeah very kind and giving and generous and so saint nick started a little bit of a t- tradition but the thing about it was that uh, there was time of persecution persecution and and, and uh, malcolm mentioned that even our prayers today and St. Nick got arrested as a Christian, proclaiming Christ, and was jailed. And it wasn't until Constantine came into uh, uh, leadership uh, that the Christians were released from prison. 
and that's when St. Nick got released. And the thing about it was that he had wealth, he was locked away, he lost everything, came out, made it again, because some people just have this amazing ability to uh, draw resources to themselves, and started giving again. And then he was at, and this is quite, quite funny actually, he was at, um, I think it was called the Council of Nicaea, and there was a gathering of Christians uh, uh, the, the elite and the scholars, and they were discussing uh, different aspects of the Christian faith. And there was one individual who uh, stated that uh, Jesus was created. And uh, the fact that Jesus was created, that, that Jesus hadn't been eternal from the beginning and has always been here and in partnership with the Father and in partnership with the Spirit. This, this individual had stated at the Council of Nicaea that, uh, that uh, Jesus was a, a created being and Saint Nick smacked him on the nose. So when you think about Father Christmas um, and you think back to Saint Nicholas, uh, Saint Nicholas was quite a rough and ready dude who would have none of this watering down what it is uh, to be in a relationship with the living God. And Jesus was very special to him, even to a point where he biffed somebody on the nose for daring to water down the very tenets of our our doctrines of Christian faith. So it's um, quite Christmassy to smack people on the nose. Just do with that as you will. (laughs) Christmas, so we've got Christmas, St. Nicholas, uh, all that going on, and you wonder what is Christmas all about, and what is the Christmas song, we get the songs that we've been talking about, and then we come to a story, and this is a story in Luke's Gospel that reminds us of a song that is being sung, and it's a song that is being sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's good just to know a little bit of background with Mary. And what happened was last week when we, we touched on, on the Christmas story, and then in our life groups we, we unpacked a bit more of the Christmas story. And to recognize the girl who is singing this song is a girl. She comes from a little place called Nazareth. Not many people there. The size of Nazareth was probably about I don't know, 20 acres, 300 odd people. It's not a big place. And in this insignificant town, there's this insignificant girl, probably about 14 years old. She is engaged, and engagement usually lasts about a year. So Joseph has been set apart to be her husband. She is excited that she's got a man, and she's going to get married. And then her, her year, now we're saying about 14, that's what people are saying, you know, the scholars. So she's in her preparation for the wedding year. So she's quite excited, having had a wedding in our family this year, and uh, I, I just got to know how excited Floss was about getting married. And that's where Mary was. She was an insignificant young lady, in a sense, and she was in an insignificant place, and God speaks into her life and turns it upside down. I think one of the things to remember is that God notices. He is aware of us at all times. And of all the people, of all the people, 
he chose this young lady. A young lady in a place that most people had never heard of to bring the greatest gift the world would ever know in his son, Jesus, our saviour. So just getting to know a little bit about Mary, why did God choose her? Well, I was looking, I was looking up some things uh, about Mary. This is the bit of the story that we remember. On the sixth month, God sent an angel to speak to her. So virgin, she's pledged to be married, and her name is Mary, and it's all going to happen for this young lady. She said to her that you are highly favoured. How about that then? Sometimes we just need to know from God where we stand. And it's one of those beautiful uh, encounter moments that we can have when we spend time in the Lord's Word, when we spend our time in Scripture, and we can start memorizing those words that God has spoken into people's lives over centuries. And then when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves at trying times, when we find pressure is on us, we can lean back into the Word and find a word that God has spoken to us at a time, that is a word that carries with us always. He's meant to be saying to you, you are, just like he's saying to Mary, highly favoured. You're valuable. You are, I mean, I love the phrase that I've heard many times, when you recognise what Christ did for us. And he reminds us that you're worth dying for. And even in the midst of whatever difficulty you may be facing at this moment in time, God's got a word for you to encourage you. For Mary, she finds out that uh, the Lord wants to know her, that she is highly favoured. I think to myself, how can that be? How do we get to a place where we might know the full outpouring of God's favour upon us? We don't want to just to be ticking along in our relationship with God. We want to find ourselves in a place where we are open to all of the blessings individually and corporately that he has for us. Now, ultimately, as we look around this amazing gathering of God's family here this morning, you can just see how blessed we are. Just check out how blessed we are. You know, we've had food. We are clothed. We're sitting in here on, on comfy chairs with carpet on the floor. The heating's making me a little bit warmer. So many things that we just take for granted actually are very clear signs of God's favour and blessing upon us. When God's people gather together, a part of, of his church, his body, just like, I, I mean, I don't know, this is a little bit of a side tangent, we'll go over here, um, The church here can do what the church here does because of people like us who are willing to sacrifice and give of themselves. So much of the activity that goes on here and connecting with communities because of you and how you give of your time and your talents. But we also recognize that so much of of what we're able to do, the fact that we've got heat on and chairs to sit on, is because you have sacrificially given to the church. And as we as a church look with a vision to see ourselves grow as we impact the community around us, that only means that there's going to be an even greater call on our resources 
And a need for us to be even more aware of the sacrifice that Christ made for us as an example of the sacrifice he would call us to make for him. So it's just good for a moment just to say, Father, thank you for the gifts, the tithes, the offerings. Thank you, Lord, for the individuals who sacrifice of their time and their talent in serving you in this place. We want to pray blessing, Father, upon the givers and the servers. Thank you, Lord, that in them we can see the attitude and characteristics of Christ our Saviour. May we be, Lord, may we be ever diligent and generous in all we have and all we do in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's about giving of ourselves. The favour that we have is a favour that God says is, uh, it's not for you, it's, it's to give away. And everything that we have, we need to be giving away, which is hard. But we are a favoured people, just like Mary was favoured. And the thing about Mary is she, she travels through this journey. We, we recognise that she didn't have a lot, but what she had... She gave. I was following through some things. What are the characteristics of uh, somebody who is of influence? Somebody who is favoured? This is what uh, Forbes magazine says. There are 7 billion people in the world. These are the 70 that matter. And it went on to an article that spoke about 70 people who uh, significantly make a difference. But this is the criteria that they worked on. They said, these are the 70, and the reason why they're in the most influential and most important list is that uh, they have many people um, that they've got power over, they've got financial resources, um, they're a person who has influence more than one area or sphere, and they are actively uh, wield their power. And I think, that just doesn't look anything like Mary, though. That's just favour, power, influence. And then I see this young lady encountering an angel and think to myself, oh my goodness. That's what the world says power looks like. But this young girl seems to be how God sees power. He talks about humility because she was... Uh, in the first instance, aware that she had been chosen, but recognises her, her own, as she would see, her own value. But I love the way the scriptures here pick up in Isaiah and on James. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Then humble yourselves before the Lord that he will lift you up. There was nothing of Mary pushing forward for power and esteem. And then when that message came through uh, of what was going to happen, uh, there's this point where uh, he, she says to the, to the angel, may it be with you just as it says, I, I, I believe you, nothing is impossible with God. There's something that we need to know. Because... As we hear a word from the Lord, as we step out into it, we've got to recognize that God not only speaks to us, but he also equips us. So when we look at a challenge before us, whether it be in the 
massive call upon this church to reach this community with the good news of Jesus. When we look at the pot that we have, the resources we have, and we think, oh my goodness, is that going to do? We've got to recognize that the word of the Lord says that nothing is impossible for for those who believe. Do we believe that God desires for those who don't know him to know him? That's a good question. Do we believe that God wants to see everybody saved? Okay. So if God's desire is that everybody's going to be saved, and we climb onto that calling, and we are confident in that mission, then we've got to recognize nothing's impossible with God, and he's going to meet our needs. Oh, I love that. And I love the way that she just says, uh, you know, let it be just as you've said. So there's that humility, but there's that absolute faith in God. Do you know, we're going to say, Lord, the call that you've got upon us as a church, we can't do it. But you can. So we're just going to humble ourselves before you, say, Lord, would you lead us and would you guide us? But we know that this is your word. This is your call. May we be fruitful in the mission, in this community, but not only here, but to the ends of the earth. It's good just to pray this morning and pick up on what's going on in India. And uh, uh, James and somebody was mentioned. Was it, was it the Neves? Is that right? Malcolm, was it? You talked about James and Ruth Neves. I think that's the Neves. So this guy, uh, an extremely clever bloke. Uh, I remember James Neve when I was at college. He was an accountant. It's amazing how God calls people who know how to deal with money into a business where there ain't none. But he, he's, he was an accountant. I remember him getting alongside me and helping me fill in my tax return. And uh, he, he was a, a, just a brilliant bloke. He went on to serve in a number of churches. I don't know exactly where, but I know little bits about him as he went on to serve in church. Now, normally, you see, what happens is that uh, missionaries come and usually will come back home and then lead in a local church. But it seems that James and Ruth are taking on board the fact that they've been serving in the local church for 25 years and now God is taking them up and sending them over to India. Amazing couple. Again, a couple who would turn around and say, Lord, I have nothing to bring. But I've heard your call and therefore I'm making a move. So that's Mary. She's, she's a humility characteristic. She is favored by God and she is open and she's receptive and she's faith-filled. I just love her. Amazing lady. I'll go on for that. The song. Here's the song. There's the song that she sings. And in the song that she sings, she starts to speak of a promise that is being fulfilled for all nations and even comes back to being fulfilled for us. Let me read you this promise. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. This is Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. And my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who, uh, uh, who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And I just wanted to pick up five things from this amazing song that this young lady who's just been given some phenomenal news, starts to sing. When you recognize that you've had an encounter with God, he gives you a song on your heart. And this is the song that she sang. And it was a song to begin with about God's care. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of me. The fact that we were created, we were created. Psalm 139 reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knows us. He knows our thoughts before we think them. And God cares. Of the way that the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 8, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful? Just as Mary has said that the Lord you are mindful. Here the psalmist says again that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. You're on God's mind. Just today, there's a word for you. You're not forgotten. You're not sidelined. He's not being still and silent before you because there's something you have done. He's mindful of you. He cares for you. Mary picks up on the fact that the God who is stepped into her life in such a significant way is a God who cares. The next point that she picks up on is the fact that he's he's not weak, he's not resourceless, but he is a mighty God. It says this in verses uh, 49 and 51. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The mighty God whom we we serve. There's, um, I think it's, I'm going to look this up. Let me find a a verse. This is a good thing about having a uh, Bible on this thing. Ah, here we go. This is in Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I love the fact that our mighty God 
almighty God, all-powerful God, a God who created all things, is also a God who sings over you and sings over me. Other versions talk about the fact that he dances around us. How mighty is our God? That he's not restricted by pomp and ceremony. He's got to do things in a certain way. He is abandoned in his joy towards us. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. And in his might, this word here in Zephaniah 3 reminds us that he sings over us. He doesn't have limited arms. His arms are long enough. He can do what needs to be done. And when she says, you know, you've done great things for me, she just recognizes that this is an opportunity that is beyond her wildest dreams. You're speaking into my life, you've blown me away. But I'm also mindful of what you've done for my fathers and forefathers, for those through history. You are a mighty God. You are with us. I love the way that Micah puts it in this next section when we recognize that uh, this song picks up on God's mercy. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. What is mercy? Not giving us what we deserve. And Mary just says, you are a merciful God. You've held back what we deserve. And when I look at my own life and I think to the things that I've done, the places that I've been, the thoughts that I've thought, the words that I've said, I deserve nothing like I'm actually receiving. And you deserve nothing like you actually are receiving. Barry reminds us that our God is merciful. He cares about us. He's, he's a mighty God, powerful God, but he's so merciful. He holds back. This is what Micah says. This is the words that were just coming to mind. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry, but you delight to show mercy. Here's, Here's something we need to be aware of. If you've done something wrong, and you know you've done something wrong, then you come to God and you confess that you have done wrong. You say to God, who already knows, this is what I have done. And then we say, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to turn around. I want to go in a different direction. I don't want to follow that line of action that I'm coming to you about right now. Forgive me. God forgives you. That's it. You are forgiven. And and I love the way that uh, it says here that God doesn't stay angry. He loves to show mercy. And it's always good to remember that once you have confessed uh, and repented, received forgiveness, that's the job done. And if that thought of something comes back to you whilst you're in the bath or in the shower or or whatever you're doing, then that's not the Lord who's bringing it back. That's very often is the enemy trying to enslave us. 
This is why the Father Heart conference that we're holding here in the beginning of January is so, so, so good. Because what Andy and Gamilla will share with us as we go through this little conference together here is the fact that your Heavenly Father is better than you have ever imagined. And when you have a relationship with him, you walk in an upright position, not cowered down, not feeling we're being judged, but you find a freedom and a release. And for those who've walked with Jesus for many, 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 many years, when sometimes you come to something like this conference, you think to yourself, I don't know, I don't need any of that. I know that God's my Father. But then do you really know God's your Father? And he brings about a release. When we come into an acknowledgement that he delights in showing mercy, he sings over you, dances over you, he wants to bring blessing into our lives. Mercy. So then we've got the fourth one. She wants us to recognize that the only way to go is God's way. These are her words. She says, He has brought uh, down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. We in this world and society that, that Mary was talking into were saying that rulers are the way. Wealth is the way. And he turns it around and says, no, my way may just well be a different way to the way that you may see things. This is what Isaiah reminds us about the thoughts of God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways are, are your ways, declares the Lord. Sometimes the things that we feel called to do are things that you think to yourself, oh my goodness, that just doesn't fit. But actually might just look like Jesus. When we step into caring for those who are marginalized, it looks like Jesus. When we start pouring our lives into those who have nothing, those who are struggling with, uh, with poverty and with debt, it just looks like Jesus. The moment that we step out and come alongside those who have addiction issues, it, it just looks like Jesus. It's not about let's try and find the people of influence that can help us. It's about how can we pour ourselves out into the marginalized and the sidelined. And I just recognize that as we step as a church into ministry that impacts those people who are really on God's heart, we'll just see resources being released towards us. Our ways aren't God's ways very often. And sometimes it's really hard because we have to battle this whole thing. We were chatting to our friends last night who, whose business is not succeeding as they expected it to succeed. But God told them it would. So they're hanging on, even though everything around looks very dark. They're hanging on to a word that God gave to them. And I believe as we stand with them, as Carol and I stand with them, we will see success. We will see franchises of their company. And we are glad that we're in at this level. That's what we say. So God's way. That's what Mary says. There's only one way and it's God's way. And the last word here about this song that you'll look at when you spend time in your uh, life groups this week is the fact that God keeps his promises. He says this. He has helped the servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever This is really important to know that God keeps his promises. Do you have a promise 
as you read this song this week, do you have a promise that God has spoken over you that is yet to be fulfilled? When we find ourselves in another song next week, we'll find a guy who had a promise about having a child. But years and years passed. But that's next week's message. What is a promise that God has spoken over you? And the Mary song just reminds us that God's promises will be fulfilled because he is for you. But if you haven't grabbed hold of a promise, find a promise. The Word of God, 66 separate books are overflowing with promises for God's children. Get hold of a promise and see how God will work that out in your life. Mary reminds us that God is for us and he fulfills his promises. So as you spend time in the Word this week, I pray that uh, you will come to a revelation and awareness of God. A God who delivers, a God who brings freedom, a God who redeems, a God who will pick an insignificant person in an insignificant place to be the one who carries the most precious gift, our Lord and our Saviour. Let's stand together.